new episode today, and it was a question from one of our listeners. Um, I really like doing the Q&A because I get to answer questions that I know all of you guys are having. So I talk about it in the episode, but I'll say it here again. Questions that you want answered on the podcast, please send me a DM on Instagram, send me an email. It makes my job a lot easier, and I think it's more valuable to you. As I found, if one person has the questions, hundreds of people. So be a leader. Be a leader, ask the question. The quality of your life is determined by the quality of your questions. Hey, if you're not a member of any of our programs, our Rehab Cairo Mastermind or student mentorship programs, please inquire with me. We're building a wait list now for um, a couple of the programs that we've introduced. So if you are interested, coaching at strivetomove.com at Justin Rabinowitz, and I hope you enjoy the episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Business School for the Rehab Chiropractor. Class is officially in session. My name is Justin Rabinowitz, and I am a rehab chiropractor on a mission to teach you, a fellow rehab chiropractor, the exact tools and systems I've used to build my own successful rehab chiropractic practice so you can do the same. I hope you enjoy, and please subscribe. All right, so... I received an email the other day and got a question. Before I get going with the question and my answer and my framework on how to break it down, um, if you're out there listening and you do have questions, it helps me a ton to be able to do essentially Q&A on the podcast. And so most of the time I'm doing topics that come to my mind, but if you listen to this podcast and do have questions that you'd like me to talk about on the pod, shoot me an email. Dr. Justin at strivetomove.com, coaching at strivetomove.com, DM on Instagram, any of the various ways to find me. I'd love to be able to answer the questions that you have. Remember, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your questions. So here's the email that I received. Is there such a thing as an entire area not wanting what I may have to offer? Talking to a coworker recently, he said he, quotes, would never go back to the place I plan on practicing because there are no rehab chiropractors or physical therapists in private practice, showing that maybe the population isn't interested in one. He said it's far too big of a risk when I could simply go somewhere else where I know the service is wanted and used. Is that possible? I always figure that everyone could benefit from the care I have to offer, and I just think that the people in my area aren't aware of what chiropractic can actually be. Is this naive for me to think? Is going back to this area too big a risk? Thanks for the advice, and I appreciate the accountability. So this is a phenomenal question, and I think we'll have a lot of good angles and takes on it. And more so than anything, as I always teach and as I work with uh, mastermind members, I'm not going to tell you the answer. I hopefully can help you think about it a little bit more. So let me start by this. My mentor was a physical therapist in England, and he owns a private cash pay practice there where 80% of his revenue is from cash pay. Now, what's interesting is his competition in England is free because they have socialized medicine and nationalized healthcare. To add to that, he also lives in one of the more depressed areas in the country. It is not a wealthy area at all. And actually, his cash fees compared to other cash practices in the area are about three times higher than normal. Now, Context here is massively important. 
I believe my mentor is also one of the most brilliant marketing and sales minds in healthcare uh, in the world. And so if we start with that, the first question or the first answer is, do I think it's possible in almost any place? I absolutely do. But if we dive deeper into it, is there context to every situation? There absolutely is. So let's go back into this email and the questions and break this down a little bit more and how I might think about it. The first thing is, um, this is a small town in the Midwest. I've never been there. I, I, I don't know. So this is all conjecture, but I'm sure there are many people here that either are from a small town or plan on going to a smaller town where potentially economically it's not as, as well off and or there aren't as many people. Um, what I'm very conscious of and what I want you to consider, though, is either the story you're telling yourself or the story you are being told. I've said this before on the podcast. I had a client from downtown Chicago in the city of Chicago, which is you know outside of New York City and LA potentially is a top three major city economically, uh, population-wise in the country. And this chiropractor got on a call with me and he told me, this was his exact words, he goes, I have to take, I have to be in, in network with insurance because everyone in Chicago wants to use their insurance. So we have to recognize that this is a story that we're telling ourselves. Now, do I think it's context dependent on the area? Absolutely. But I think that's an unbelievable example of someone in one of the top three cities in the US where economically it's it's better off than most places and there's tons of people and there are tons and tons of cash-based practices out there. And so you can choose to take insurance, but I'll have to hold 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 you up a little bit if you're saying to me, everyone in Chicago wants to use their insurance because that's just a flat out lie. That's a story we're telling ourselves. It doesn't mean don't take insurance. It just means understand the story that we're telling ourselves. So question, is there such a thing as an entire area not wanting what I may have to offer? It's possible. But before that, the only way that I'm going to know this for sure is that I have a high level of marketing and sales skills to be able to communicate what I actually do have to offer. Because the next line is I was talking to a recent coworker, said he would never go back to the place I plan on practicing because there are no other rehab chiros and PTs showing that the population isn't interested in one. And again, I think there's a validity to this, but I also think there's a validity to the people who are there um, on average, have zero skills in marketing and sales. And so if you don't over-index on the skill set used to help build your practice, it will be significantly harder. Now, I do think there's truth to going to an area, a potentially more affluent area with more people who are more active, where it isn't that the people want it more, it's that you actually don't have to be as good at the marketing and sales because people want what you do more. I think there's a big difference between the two. So for you guys out there who are just saying the population isn't there, the first thing I would say is, do you have the marketing and sales skills, even if the population isn't there or is there? Because those are things that you can't control. Now, I want to go to the next line because there's a little bit of a tangent here that I want to go off on. He said, it's far too big of a risk when I could simply go, just go somewhere else 
where I know the service is wanted and used. So I want to talk about risk for a second. I think over the last two to three years in our country and our world, one of the things I've been most keen on understanding is that people just simply do not understand how to assess risk. Assessing risk, as I've learned over the last few years, is absolutely a skill set. To make a blanket statement that it's too big of a risk, we have to quantify and qualify what actually consists of a risk. Now, if you went to a small town, potentially where you're from, and opened up a practice, signed a five-year lease, got married, had a kid, started a family, or if you have put roots down there, and you're entrenched, I agree that that is a huge risk because you're going somewhere with no opportunity to get out. And so if those are the circumstances, then yes, potentially going back to a town where you don't know if your business is viable is a risk. But this is where context is important. Let's say you're 26 years old, you're single or have a girlfriend or a a fiance or a wife, and you guys are potentially going back to try opening a business in your hometown. And you open up in a gym with a month-to-month lease, you rent an apartment for a year, and you're not dead set on staying there for the rest of your lives. So, so long as you can survive the year and pay your bills, and again, context is important, maybe your spouse has a job that can pay the bills, there actually is very little risk. Because a year in, if you come to the conclusion that it just can't support what you want to do, guess what? You can move. So I wouldn't be freaked out. I would be more objective in what I'm looking at in terms of risk. You know, I think one of the great examples of assessing risk is that there are people that won't risk, quote unquote, spending four or $5,000 to learn marketing or to learn sales skills because they think that's a lot of money to invest. But they'll go sign a three-year lease with a three-year option on the hook for, you know, a thousand to two thousand dollars a month, and they're going to spend sixty to eighty grand that they're that they are responsible for. Well, that's a big risk. That's a huge risk. But if you, if I when I talk to people, they are way more concerned with the risk of spending money on marketing or or learning business skills. The other part of this. So long as you can survive and you're not tied down forever, like we talked about before, if you start a business knowing that there are some potential downsides that might be out of your control and all you're looking for in the first year is to is to develop business skills there is no risk because you get to the end of a year understanding that this is a possibility and recognizing that there's a there's a chance that doing what you want to do in a very challenging area could be the best thing you've ever done as a business owner you know do hard things I mean, imagine if you go to a small town and they don't quote unquote want what you do and they won't pay what you want to charge them. Over the course of time, some people will, but you're going to have to work really hard to understand marketing. You're going to have to work really hard to understand the sales system. And so long as you understand what you're getting yourself into, the biggest risk is actually just your confidence and self-belief. So again, if we go into it objectively, knowing that we might do all of the right things and it still might not work, there is no risk. So when you talk to a coworker or a family member who's talking to you about risk, the first thing I would say is check yourself and understand if they even know what risk is. 
because I'm not a big risk taker. But in the right situation to open up a business with very little overhead to just have have an opportunity to just pay your bills for a year and learn business skills and and get going with it without getting into a long-term lease or or getting entrenched in the area with the idea that you can pick up and move. Well, there's almost no risk to that at all. There's no risk to that at all. Now, let's go to the other side. So when we talk about niche development, right? Niche 101 is having a, a starving market right? Your audience has to want what you offer. The audience has to be growing, not dying, and they, and they have to be easy to reach. And so realistically, whether you do rehab or not, that isn't the most important piece of this conversation. The conversation is who you're going to help. Because if there's an opportunity in your town to go reach a niche, whether it's women's health or whether it's athletes or whether it's CrossFit or, or any other niche population, it's less about doing the rehab and more about can you solve the problem that exists? Can you solve the problem that exists? So if you are in your small town and all these other chiros and PTs are marketing as rehab chiros and PTs, I would say, yeah, absolutely, that's not going to work. And I'll tell you what, it probably won't work very well in a big town either because that's just horrendous marketing. It's just horrendous sales skills. It's not having empathy for your customer. It's not being able to solve the problem that exists. It's, it's talking about what you do, not who you help. And so if, the, if that's your marketing campaign and you're going to build a business based on that, I would say don't open anywhere. You come to my town where we've had success. You won't have success if you're going to market that way. A hundred thousand percent no, because you don't have the business skills. You haven't dedicated yourself to learning the marketing because just hanging up a shingle just won't fly anymore. Then hang up a shingle and don't take insurance and try to talk about what you do rather than who you help. Don't invest in your business. Don't invest in yourself. Don't invest in anything but letters after your name. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to fail. I don't care where you are. LA, New Jersey, Florida, Wisconsin, it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Next part of this. Be careful who you take advice from. Be careful who you take advice from. I harp on this all the time, but it's worth repeating. There are people that are worth listening to, and there are people that are worth ignoring. Just because someone hasn't had success, I'm going to question their resume. Again, I have no idea who you're getting advice from. I don't know this person, you know, from a hole in the wall. My guess is that they don't know anything about business, marketing, sales. Doesn't mean they're not they're wrong. It just means that I'm going to question my source always. Maybe they didn't have success. Maybe they were told by someone else it can't work. I, I want to know through my objective data, through my measurements, through my own experience, through talking to people that know more than I do, and that might not be this person. And so I'm going to really dissect this because obviously the email that was sent was in, you know, good faith. And there's legitimately, I appreciate the question and, and truthfully, the person um, giving this advice or scaring, scaring you is a good thing because it makes you question it. And now we can have a good educated conversation about it. So I think net net, it's a good, it's a good place to be, but I'm also not going to be haunted by someone who I don't respect business wise. You know, have they been where I want to be? If they haven't, then I'm not going to listen to them. Now, something else to consider um, in some of these small towns, because I've talked to people, you know, Indiana and Wisconsin and some of the Midwestern sort of small towns, uh, not thriving cities. And um, 
one of the things that I think about or that I ask is, you know, in the area that you're in, uh, when you say that people either have no money or can't afford it, the first thing that I want to know is economically in the area, are there more luxury items, right? If you're going to run a white glove boutique style service, are there luxury things that are sold in your area? So one of the first things that I ask is, you know, is there a BMW dealership anywhere near there? Because if there is, it means that there's a market for people that want to buy a car and not the cheapest one possible. Now, it doesn't mean that they want you as a rehab Cairo that's charging cash, but uh, we can't say that no one's willing to pay. They might not be willing to pay for you, but they're willing to pay for something. The second thing that I would ask are, are there country clubs, right? Are there more high-end gyms? Are there gyms that are charging over $100, $120, $150, $200, 250 CrossFit gyms, small group training gyms, personal trainers? Are there triathlon clubs? Now, there might not be any of these. These are some good questions to ask. And if that's the case, then yeah, I'm going to start to really question. I'm going to really start to question if um, there is any sort of opportunity for me to do what I want. Now, another piece of this equation. When we talk about growth of our practice, um, I think sometimes we get intimidated because we don't know what will actually make us successful. You know, if you're running a model like ours and you're spending one hour with patients and you're a solo practitioner that's just getting started, if you're charging the right price and just do the numbers on it, let's just say you're $200 an hour and you're seeing 15 patients a week, um, actually, let's say 10 hours a week because I'm not good at math. So 10 hours a week at 2000 that's $8,000 a month that you're making from doing 10 patient visits a week. And so... Most rehab chiros with no overhead in a gym can more than sufficiently pay their bills at that rate. Now, that's usually, you know, step one of building a rehab chiropractic practice is just getting to that $10,000 mark. And then we've got to make some decisions to help to grow and scale the, the business. But, you know, I have a hard time believing that if you are a world-class or working towards being a world-class marketer or are just relentless in your pursuit to learn and grow in your business skills of marketing and sales, I'd like to think that you could find 10 people willing to pay. And if you can't, then absolutely it could be the area, but... I would 1,000% question your skill set. 1,000% question your skill set. And if you have plans to grow your practice, I think if you move to like Colorado Springs or, you know, somewhere, Denver, the Rocky Mountains, where their people are more active and have more money, yes, if you have no marketing and sales skills and you hang up a shingle and you do rehab, they might just be more willing to pay. But without the marketing and sales skills, you're going to get stuck probably at ten or 15000 because you don't have the skills. So either way, at some point, you're going to fail. Either at zero to 5000 at five to 10, at 15 to 20, at 20 to 30, at some point, you're going to get stuck without the requisite skills. So let's bring it all the way back. I think it's a great question, first of all, and I really enjoy talking about this. But I think number one, we got to understand what the risk actually is. And as I've used before, the framework for many of us often is what's the upside of this decision? What's the downside of this decision? And can I live with the downside? And when I'm assessing risk, that's a framework that I'll always use. Now, can we set this situation? Let's say we're going back to our hometown regardless. Can we set up the situation to make it less risky? Again, month to month lease. 
renting an apartment, not buying a home. My spouse potentially works. I can kind of get there, get going with it. And if I want to get out and start over, I can. More importantly, when assessing risk is to understand there's a chance that it might not work. And it is not an indictment as me as a business owner. Because the worst thing, the biggest risk is that you, you open it, start it, and then don't do well, and then think this isn't for me. That's the number one risk that we have to guard against. It isn't that the business fails. There's many people that have had failed businesses that have been wildly successful after a failed business. So we have to mitigate the risk and we have control over that. Point three, be careful who you listen to, something that's very near and dear to me. Um, you know, a lot of your loved ones, a lot of people that care about you often give you the worst advice because they're emotionally attached to it. So that's a massive piece of this equation. Um, and I think those are my big three. So for some of you guys that are in school, graduated, or have a practice in, in an area, um, I think it's an interesting conversation to have because yes, there is variability based on the area you're going to go to. And I, I think it's a good it's a good thought process to go into, but I think the biggest thing that we have the ability to do is mitigate the risk and not get entrenched in um, the area that we're moving to with the idea that it might not be the perfect situation for us. And again, so long as you're aware of that, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. To finish, again, as I always go back, the fundamentals of business never change. You could be great clinically. You could do rehab. You can offer a service that no one else does, but I still am going to contend. You got to learn marketing. You got to learn sales. You got to understand finance. You got to learn operations. And so building your business skills will forever and always be the number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 factors that I believe over the next 30 to 40 years of your career that are going to be, make you successful, that are going to make you wealthy and help you grow the rehab chiropractic practice of your dreams. As always, I appreciate you listening. If you like this episode, please rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends, share with your enemies, whoever you want. I appreciate the, the feedback and the follow-up. And if you do have questions, coaching at strivetomove.com or reach me on Instagram at Justin Rabinowitz. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you for free. One, grab a copy of my free guide, The Rehab Chiropractor's Checklist. You can get that at go.drjustinrabinowitz.com slash guide. That's go.drjustinrabinowitz.com slash guide. Two, go ahead and give me a follow on Instagram at Justin Rabinowitz, where I post business content. Three, subscribe to my weekly newsletter by sending me an email at coaching at strive to move.com. And four, leave us a five-star review so we can gain access to more influential people and bring those lessons back to you. <laughs>